All episodes of It's Great Business reflect the views and opinions of Intracoastal Marketing and Strategy Group and its guests and do not reflect the official policy or guidance of employers or government entities. You're listening to It's Great Business, sponsored by Intracoastal Marketing and Strategy Group, where great business equals great people. Welcome to another episode of It's Great Business, and I'm Janice Berg-Levy. Today's guest is Jeff Goldwasser. Jeff has been a sales manager for more than 25 years. He has worked across a multitude of industries from large to small. Today, he is the Eastern Regional Sales Manager for Amaya Seating, a Mexican-based manufacturer for motor coach seating. Jeff is a knowledgeable industry expert, and in fact, his clients talk about, actually rave about how great he is, and they really say that a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's grown up in the bus business and that he works tirelessly and always steps up to the plate. Welcome, Jeff. I am so excited to talk to you about your journey in terms of career. Thank you, Janice. It's, it's great to be here. So, Jeff, tell me a little bit, um, I mean, I, I gave your intro, but tell, tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what's your passion? Like, how did, how did you end up in sales? Because sales, to me, is not, it's not easy. So, I grew up in New York, uh, Long Island. My family had a, a large uh, motor coach and school bus company for over 50 years, tour business. And I always used to go on the trips uh, when I was little and, you know, helped out my, my parents on the buses. And uh, it was in my blood and being around people. And early on, you know, back in the late 60s, uh, we used to do, uh, we, we ran ski buses up to, the, up to the mountains in the winter. And in the late 60s, there was a, a national convention, uh, the ski show in, in New York City. And every year, my family, they had a booth at the ski show, and, you know, they would bring me into the city, and I would stand in the booth, and it just became natural for me just to, to stand there and, and, and engage in people, even as a young kid. I always enjoyed it, and I'm, I'm the type of person, I could, I could walk up to anybody and engage anybody in any type of conversation. That's, a, that's absolutely one of the major requirements in sales, for sure, right? That is correct. You know, my, my, my kids... Uh, we go out for dinner. We we got a sushi bar, and I could be engaging the people at the you know at the next table or sitting next to us. And my kids just shake their heads like I can't believe. <laughs> I'm sure they're used to it by now. So where did you begin? I mean, what did you study? So um, when I, I I went to two different uni, uh, universities, my, the first school I went to was a uh, State University of New York at Delhi, because you know growing up in the tour business. I was at hotels all the time, whether weekends, we were on trips in the summer, we always went to hotels and I loved being in a hotel. And I thought, gee, it would be great to go into the hotel industry and hotel management. But I found out at the time at SUNY Delhi that not only did you have to take hotel classes, which I excelled in, you also had to take cooking classes, which I was <laughs> a major failure in. I, I, cooking was not my, my, my forte. I, I enjoy food, but preparing it was not what I wanted to be. So I made the decision. I said to my father, look, look, um, the hotel industry, this, this project's not for me. Maybe I'll go to law school or something, do something else. And I went into political science and my father said, whatever you do, just get a degree. So I ended up getting a, a degree. Uh, I graduated from SUNY Brockport and got my bachelor's degree. I ended up going into my father's business. 
and uh, that was the motor coach industry. There you go. So when you think about that and you went into the motor coach business, then you had some other, I guess, stops along the way because you talk about the fact that you were in other types of sales roles. What, what else did you sell? So, you know, after the, uh, my family uh, exited the, that part of the industry, they sold out. Um, I found myself, you know, what, what's Jeff going to do? And mm. um, I had, I had a, a, a wife and a growing family and I had to you know, get off my rear end and go out and do something else. Um, I went and uh, bought a Snap-on tool franchise because I recalled every time the Snap-on dealer came into the, the shop or the Mac tool dealer came into the bus garage, the mechanics were happy to see them and everything else. You know, it just became a natural transition. And I, I bought a Snap-on tool franchise and I quickly learned that this is going to be challenging because I'm giving people credit that they couldn't get credit anywhere else. But all of a sudden, I'm Jeff Goldwasser's bank. Mm. That made me a bit uncomfortable. And uh, the business really took a change after 9-11. And uh, I got out of it about a, about a year after that. I got out of it. But I learned something along the way at Snap-on that I enjoyed selling big ticket items. And the bigger the ticket, the bigger the reward. Right. So I, was, I jumped into selling paint booths, um, industrial equipment, did, did okay with that. And then someone called me up and said, hey, uh, Daimler Buses of North America is looking for a regional manager. And I said, well, who's Daimler Buses? They said, oh, they're, you know, it's a German bus manufacturer. They said, you'd be great selling buses. You, you know, you know everybody in, in, in the industry. Your dad knew everybody. It would be a great transition. Send your resume. So I sent my resume in and um, they hired me right away. Wow. And, you know, all of a sudden I was back dealing with people that I knew. Uh, the mm -hmm. first day at Daimler uh, in their facility in Secaucus, New Jersey, I sold a motor coach the first day there. And, um, the career started, you know, the, my passion continued for the bus business with that. Wow. That's, it's a nice story because it starts to take your passion in terms of just from a personal perspective and, and really start to marry it in, in a career, which is something that we... We talk about a lot, right? You have to love what you do and do what you love, right? Exactly. You know, I, I look at my job. I don't even look at it as a job. It's my lifestyle. You know, nice. I, you know, working from home during COVID, you know, I'm, you know, I could be either traveling, visiting customers or, or sitting at the computer. And sometimes I'm working, sending emails till 11 o'clock at night and I enjoy it. It's not even, oh, nice. I gotta, you know, I get up and I'm looking forward to what's new today. That's, that's everyone's dreams. Yeah. So so when you step back and you kind of look at the journey at this point, how do you define success? You know, listen, the monetary part of it is, is definitely there. But, you know, success also, you have to be happy in what you're doing. You have to enjoy it. And that's mm -hmm. half of the success. Because yeah. if you're not happy with what you're doing, you're going to be miserable. Right. You know, I feel that, uh, you know, I'm successful. I have a good reputation in the industry. And I enjoy what I do every day. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's interesting because a lot of folks that we talk to across many different age groups have really adjusted. Yeah, we all say, you know, the, the financial part of it is a base. Of course, you have to be able to live, but they're much more selective. You know, people are talking about, you know, the great resignation and all of this. But at the end of the day, I think that people are just saying, hey, I, I need to earn a living, but I want to make sure that I feel that there's balance in my life, like you just described, right? You have that flexibility. So if you 
think about your vision of success and how it changed over the years, how has it changed? You know, Janice, I worked for some companies where, okay, we want you to sell 20 buses a quarter. They didn't care about the, the dollar values of the buses. I, I like to go out there and sell a good product, represent a good product. And when the customer buys something, they, they feel that they're getting value. And I, I don't believe in selling any junk or crap. It's my, it's my reputation. It's a longstanding reputation. And I, and I tell people when, I, when I, I broker buses as well as selling seats that if they buy a bus from me, hopefully they'll buy the first bus from me. Hopefully they'll buy the next 10 buses from me. Right, right. So relationship. Right. And it's it's about the relationship. It's about the industry. You know, when I sell a bus to somebody or I'm selling seats to somebody or where I go to sit down in front of the CEO of Greyhound or um, this, a small bus operator in, in, in Connecticut, you know, they know that I know the industry. They know that I've, you know, gotten the phone call in the middle of the night with a bus that's broke down and there are people on it. What are you going to do? You know, I've been there. And no uh-huh. one in the industry... Ne- they never want anybody to say no to them. So, you know, I've been on their side and they, and they appreciate that. And they right. know I'm going to go the extra mile for them. Nice. That's what say, I mean, that's sales, right? That's yeah. just understanding yeah. your customers. You know, I have some people, you know, I, I talk to in the industry, we have a competitor and, you know, they, they sold seats in New Jersey Transit and that was it. And, mm. uh, you know, they got that contract. It was like 172 buses, I think. And, um, you know, 172 buses with 55 seats in it. It's a lot of money. But yeah. you, you only see them at one show a year where, you know, I go out and I'm at the state associations. I'm at the national shows. You know, I travel around. I visit operators and, um, you know, I'm on the phone with them. I'm on Zoom calls with them. I'm visible in the industry. That's yeah, what you have to do. Exactly. So so speaking of visibility, tell me about this program and your smiling. What is buses and beer and how where did that come from and just tell me everything i want to hear about this so you know the motor coach industry is so unique we we're a very social industry uh there are there are two national trade shows a year and then there are state association meetings and there are open houses with manufacturers so prior to the pandemic i was doing about 37 bus trade shows or events a year mm. So, you know, I, I traveled a lot, you know, out in front of people. And when we do these shows, it's not just standing in a booth. They take you on a fam tour, which is they, they take you out to an amusement park or to visit, you know, attractions in these different cities. You know, they want to show off what they have to offer. So, you know, the vendors that are at the shows ride along with the operators and engage with them and visit the things that they're seeing. So the pandemic happens March 13th, that Friday night. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget it. I'm out for dinner with a bunch of people from my gym. I get home and I see, you know, the, all the announcements that we're, we're going on lockdown. Boom. Two weeks becomes a month. A month is going on. So in, in mid-April, we hadn't seen anybody. We haven't really spoken to anybody. And I decided, you know, we had these industry Zoom calls where people were, were thinking of, uh, you know, getting shut down. Buses are being repossessed. Banks are calling in notes. It was pretty, pretty dark time in, in, yeah. in April. And I, you know, I, and I got tired of the, uh, the daily Zoom calls of the, you know, the dreariness and the darkness. And I, and I said to myself, gee, I'm going to invite a couple of operators and a couple of vendors on a call on a Wednesday night just to see people and talk. So we did that on a Wednesday night. We spoke for about an hour. Had a, we, everybody had a couple of cocktails while we're sitting there. And uh, the next week, prior to the next Wednesday night, people were emailing me. Hey, I heard you, I heard you had this call. How do I get on the call? Can I get an invite to the call? So the next week, uh, I had about, I don't know, 
20 people on the call. The call went for about an hour and a half and everybody was so thrilled to see each other because we right. hadn't seen each other since you know February. And it took off from there. People started emailing me. I need to get on a call. I want to get on this call. And I, and I decided that I didn't want any bank people on the call nor any insurance people on the call because mm-hmm. that's where the major stress points were in the industry. Mm-hmm. And we decided, I decided to call it Buses and Beer and it evolved into a every Wednesday night and some of the calls went six hours. Oh my gosh. Six hour Zoom call. And people came on the call. They were vendors, they were operators. People had emotional breakdowns on the call. Because oh. the only people that understood what was going on in their, in, the, in their life was the people in the industry. No one, right. could, no one understood that the buses weren't moving. You know, people lost three, five million dollars, three to five million dollars overnight from cancellations uh. of trips, laying drivers off. And the banks, you know, these buses, a bus costs five, six hundred thousand dollars. You know, mm. your payments on a bus is five or six thousand dollars a month payment. And the banks are now calling, hey, what are we going to do? How are you going to pay this? You know, do you want to turn your buses back in? And it really crunched the industry. Mm-hmm. And it became a salvation, the buses and beer of a community. Yeah. Of people. I had to get really smart with the call. I started making up an agenda. I asked all types of questions to keep people engaged, whether it's we talked about, you know, the bus industry. We talked about home life. We talked about sex to keep it interesting after nine o'clock. <laughs> we talked about men's lingerie, women's lingerie. I mean, it went all over the place. Yeah. And um, I even had to do, you know, he, we had a Zoom call with two intermissions because nobody wanted to miss anything. <laughs> and, and I found out I could ask any question that I wanted to ask, and people would say, "Yeah, I'll answer that question, Jeff." Whether it was a sex question, a food question. <laughs> I mean, everything. I want to join this call. <laughs> twice, twice during the uh, the first year, I had an all I had two all women calls. I had forty eight uh-huh. women in the industry on the call two times during the year, uh-huh. and I heard things on that call that I was astonished that there's a lot more going on on my bus seats than what people are sitting. <laughs> so, it, so, you know, so the industry, the industry well. took off. The vendors chipped in. We made buses and beer T-shirts. But I, I knew in the industry that I really was helping people out when somebody sent me my own bobblehead. Me. I, I can't really turn it around. Yeah. But it says, Jeff Goldwasser bobblehead. But the sign you says... You did make uh, it. <laughs> from the Buses and Beer crew, thank you for the great conversations and laughs and tears and, and being there. Aww. That's pretty cool. So, so tell me, I mean, the, so the operators, just for those people that don't fully understand the business, give us a, a, like a name of a company that would be considered an operator so people can kind of get a little You know, in New Jersey, there's Academy, uh, okay. Connecticut, okay. Datco, Transbridge Lines, you know, Greyhound, you know, everybody knows gotcha. Greyhound. So, yes, yeah, so um, people would recognize those names. So yeah. there, there's a whole career here, guys, and a, a whole other opportunity that you would never possibly think about. But the, but the, the, the most powerful part of, of the call, I had an operator call me and it was a few months in, and he said, Jeff, he goes, your call saved my life. I said, well, what do you mean? And he goes, we had a family business. We're in business over 80 years. My buses were sitting, school buses were sitting. I had a layoff people that had been here, the third generation people working for us, and I laid people off. I never had, you know, banks calling me for money. And I had to go home and I had no money coming in. And uh, I was going to jump off a bridge, he told me. And I was like, really? And he goes, yeah. He goes, and I heard another operator from 
uh, from Georgia, this guy named Clarence Cox from Georgia Coach Lines. He was in the same situation one day and he was driving home and he went past a food pantry in, in, outside, of Georgia, outside of Atlanta. And the line was two blocks long. And he said to us when he got home, he goes, you know, he goes, we're having a hard time, but there are people that are a lot worse off than, than we are. And he decided to reach out to all his bus customers and do a food drive with his buses and fill up the bus, the bays of the bus with food and donated that to the food pantry. And he told the story on, on, on the Zoom call, mm. buses and beer. And this other operator heard this and said, gee, he goes, maybe, you know, my wife can have some type of purpose. And he started doing a food drive for his local church. And he decided not to take his life. But he said, Jeff, if I wasn't on this call, I, would, I was going to jump off a bridge. Oh, I have a chill. Yeah. I have a chill. I, I just, you know, normally I ask the question around, you know, is there anything you would have done differently in your life's journey? But I think, wow, I, I'll ask you the question, but I got, I have chills right now because, and tears yeah. in my eyes, because I, I, I can relate. That's, I volunteered at the it, it's, a very, it's a very powerful it. statement that he's. It is. Doing. I mean, I I've seen you know working at the food bank what has been going on. So right. yeah, it's yeah. tough, tough. But uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm blessed that I had the opportunity to do the buses and beer thing. Um, yeah. We decided as the industry has come back, as it has come back a little bit, uh, the operators are busy again. We cut it down to once a month, mm -hmm. and then um, we decided that. Uh, I guess it was in, in January was the last call, but we're doing it live at our national show in uh, Long Beach, California, the end of this month. Oh, wow. And I may bring it back once every few months or so, but people are busy. But yeah. for that, for those, you know, 66 calls that we did every week, yeah, you know, I can, I feel good that I help people out. We had some laughs along the way. A lot of people cried. We had some emotional breakdowns on the call, but you know, it was good for the industry. Yeah. Yeah, I think people will always remember that. And, um, and it is something that sets kind of a precedent when there's tough times, everybody pulls together. So and, and, yeah. and I also learned that I could ask any question, Janice, and I asked some pretty wild questions. And I got answers. <laughs> and what people would say is what happens on the buses and beer call stayed on the bus. Well, yeah, I was going to ask if you recorded and I was assuming that you don't. No, no. <laughs> you know, you know, my wife is in the garment business and mm -hmm. she gets samples. Of, she buys lingerie and hospital scrubs. So one night in the call, we were talking about underwear. And I, I, during intermission, I went upstairs and grabbed a box of, of bras and panties and sports bras. <laughs> and I brought them down and I started showing them on the call. And I said, if, if any of you ladies on the call want to send me your sizes, I'll be happy to get rid of it. We have stacks of clothing upstairs. Uh -huh. I got 15 women sent me their bra size and their panty size. The head of the American Bus Association said, Jeff, only you could get that information from women. It's amazing. <laughs> and that is, and you know what that is called? True yes. relationship marketing. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, well, on a lighter note, I always like to do something that I call fun facts. And I know that you're fun. So, <laughs> so tell me, a person that you admire the most and why? You know, I have to say my father. Uh, mm -hmm. he, was a, uh, he was a farm boy from upstate New York who um, had, a, had a passion for skiing. He played semi-pro baseball. He was in the Dodgers farm system. And one day, one of the coaches after two years said to him, Joey, what are you going to do if you don't become a um, pro ball player, if you don't make it? 
He goes, I'm going to become a teacher. And the coach said to him, Joey, go be a teacher. So he went, he went and became a teacher, and, and he, um, he uh, coached, some, coached sports, tennis and baseball. And, but he ran some school trips for skiing. He, took, he wanted the kids to ski. And he decided, he met a guy at a party, and uh, they decided to go into the ski tour business. And um, that's how it all evolved, with buses and wow. ski rental shops and tours, travel agency. And he brought skiing to Long Island, to kids on Long Island. Many years nice. ago. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So I look, I, you know, I miss my dad. I look up to him. Um, I, a lot of people had a great deal of respect for him in the industry. You know, it's helped me along the way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We all have, have people in our, that have been in our lives or continue to be in our lives that we, we have that feeling about. So favorite city, because you've, you've been everywhere. So, you know, Back, you know, I'm, I'm a true New Yorker, and I still love going into Manhattan. Mm -hmm. I, you know, mm -hmm. I've been around the place. I've been around a lot of other cities, and you can't beat New York. Uh, my youngest son actually lives now on 57th and Columbus Circle, and uh, I, I love going in to see him in the city. I love, you know, going downtown, the restaurants, just being around the city is great. Can't yeah, and it's, it's coming back, too, which yes, is, is good. Thank goodness. So, oh, so favorite food, Mr. New Yorker. So, New Yorker. you know, I, I tell a lot of people this, that I don't want to die in bed with a hot woman. I want, I want to die at a buffet about the fourth or fifth trip up and just explode. <laughs> yeah. But I, I enjoy, um, you know, I like going to a nice steakhouse. I like Italian food. Um, mm -hmm. And I'll try pretty much anything. And uh, I, you know, a, good, a good meal for me is an experience. I, I like experiencing great food. Yeah, me too. Making me hungry. So how can listeners reach out to you if they want to learn more about buses so, and sales? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you know, I'm glad I have this opportunity. A lot of people don't know much about hiring a bus, you know, what they mm -hmm. have to do if they have to hire a bus, what to look for. And um, there's a lot of, we call them unscrupulous bus brokers. Yeah. Who, they don't own buses, but they'll hire out, you know, a, a bus and you end up getting screwed because the bus may not show up. So I would say, you know, deal with a reputable company. There's a website you can go on and check from the, from the U.S. Department of Transportation, uh, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. It's called SAFER. You can go on that website, type the name of the bus company in, get their safety record. But, uh, you know, if you see an Academy bus or you see Raritan Valley, you know, or Transbridge, uh, even, you know, out of Philadelphia, a Star or David Tours, a local bus company, and you see that, and you're gonna, you need a bus for a wedding or, or uh, you know, a bar mitzvah or a night out or a bachelor party. You know, look for something you've seen. You know, mm -hmm. Don't go into the yellow pages and you, know, you don't know who they are. Right. Go with a recognized name. And if you have a question, feel free to call me. I get that all the time. Okay, well, we will provide to our listeners your uh, email as well. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, it's, and even for nonprofits, by the way, I mean, as another, you know, there are a lot of nonprofits that, you know, do bus trips and things right. like that and certainly don't understand. I, you know, I, went to a, I, went, I went to a wedding this past September. It was a, it was a million dollar wedding out in the Hamptons. It mm. was a magnificent outdoor event at, a, at an estate out in the Hamptons. And they hired a limo company. And the limo company hires this bus from New, uh, Jersey City or Newark. And the buses were beat up. They were dirty on the inside. The drivers weren't in uniform. And I get on the bus, and it's people from my town, and they're looking at me like, this is what you, you work in this industry? I was embarrassed by that. Yeah, yeah. That shouldn't be. 
I mean, yeah, but people don't know. People don't know. Yeah, it's like anything else, right? You got to do your homework. Right. So this has been wonderful. Um, and uh, I appreciate you spending time with uh, It's Great Business and for me being able to learn so much more about you since we've known each other for Many a lot of years. Lot yes, of life, yes, a lot of years of soccer and, and whatever, <laughs> sitting on the side, yep. watching our kids get pummeled. So <laughs> anyway, thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you next time on It's Great Business. Thank you, Janice. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Also, check us out on Facebook at Intracoastal Marketing, LinkedIn at Intracoastal Marketing and Strategy Group, and Instagram and Twitter at It's Great Business. And visit us on the web at IntracoastalMarketingStrategy.com.